Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, a very familiar portion of Scripture to you all, no doubt. Uh, But I trust the Lord will use this in our hearts today as we consider it. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. As I said, I want to focus our attention on verse number 11, and specifically that theme of the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. The inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. These opening verses of the book of of Ephesians are literally jam-packed with theological truth. The, the richness of, of theological depth here is something that would take an entire series of sermons to even begin to scratch the surface of what the Apostle Paul has revealed here as far as these great spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. As you see in verse number 3, uh, we have been blessed with all of these spiritual blessings And you can simply just catalog and outline these particular blessings as you scan your eyes down the page. You see verse number four, we have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And so it speaks of that electing love of God the Father for us, his people. He has chosen us in Christ to belong to him. Uh, The sanctification that is one of these blessings that we have. We've been chosen that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, he predestinated us unto the adoption of children. We've been adopted into the family of God. All this because of the good pleasure of the will of God. Nothing found in us, nothing of our doing, nothing of our good works, uh, nothing of our you know, intellectual prowess, nothing of our you know, spiritual devotion. 
but it's according to the good pleasure of God. We've been adopted into the family of God, and we are accepted in the beloved. Because of the work of Christ, you can never be rejected by God the Father. You've been chosen in him, we've been elected, we've been predestinated, we've been adopted into the family, and we are accepted in the beloved. We have this redemption through his blood. We have our sins forgiven according to the riches of his grace. And God has abounded toward us in all these things. We don't just have the meager expectation of these things, but he has abounded toward us in these things. In verse 9, he's revealed to us his will. He, he, he leads and he, he guides his people as one of the blessings that we have in Christ. And he's brought all these things together, all of us together, Jew, Gentile, together. There's no distinction, there's no difference in the gospel. We've been brought together. Some want to make a, a sharp dichotomy here between Jew and Gentile, that all this was, was to the Jews and and the Gentiles later in that sense. But uh, there is something very important in verse number 11 that I want to deal with just briefly, not make a mountain out of a molehill uh, with this particular point, uh, but just to point this truth out to you before we really get into the substance of what I want us to deal with this morning. And that is, if you look in verse number 11, you'll see that word also. Some have tried to connect that word also with the word we, but yet others connect that word also with the word obtained. And let me explain to you what I mean by by pointing this out. If we connect the word also with the word we, then there is a dichotomy between Jew and Gentile. That the Jews had this, and then now we also have these blessings. These, these blessings were originally for the Jews, and now they are also for us. I don't believe that's the correct way to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Uh, Paul himself being a Jew. Uh, but I believe it is best to connect that word also with the word obtained. What Paul is doing is he is simply adding on to the pile, if you will. There, there are so many spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And he's already spoken of so many of these things. And in addition to those that I've already mentioned, we also have an inheritance. This is just another of the great spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And so that's the subject matter that I want us to deal with this morning as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. When we come around the Lord's table, we're coming to to think specifically of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're coming to focus our attention and to do this in remembrance of him, remembering all that he has done for us. Now this is one of the things that he has done for us. He has secured for us an inheritance. And that's what I want to preach to you about this morning. And so the first thing that I want us to consider about this inheritance is simply the question, what is it? What are we talking about? When Paul says that we have obtained an inheritance, what is this inheritance? 
Well, normally, when we think about an inheritance, uh, we, th- we think of, of things that are somewhat concrete, somewhat substantial. Right? So uh, a person passes away and there is a will. And someone is uh, appointed to execute that will. And so it's read. And so there is uh, money in a bank account or there are stocks or investments or there is a house or there, there is some property that is left in that will. And, and those things are to be divvied out to uh, the heirs that are named in that will. And, and so you have these concrete items. And so, you know, there's a hutch and maybe there's guns or, you know, stuff, cars or you know, whatever. All this stuff is inherited by the heirs. And normally that's how we think of an inheritance. But what Paul is speaking of, the inheritance that we have in Christ, is really not something that's so much physical as it is spiritual. And so as we look at this subject of inheritance through the scriptures, we'll find it spoken of in various ways. So heaven, for example, is the inheritance of the believer. When we die, we receive this inheritance of heaven for all of eternity. And then we can expand that out to the glories of heaven, eternal life. And then ultimately we come to being with Christ and in his presence for all of eternity as as the inheritance of the believer. And so Paul speaks of this inheritance many places. But if you are astute biblically, uh, you, you might have already had come to your mind a passage in 1 Peter. And so I want us to turn to that passage, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter also speaks of this inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to look at verse number 3, where Peter speaks about this inheritance. And really the description that Peter gives us is something that's much more full than simply the statement of it that we have here in Ephesians 1 in verse number 11. And Peter describes this inheritance in four ways. Look at it with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. And here are these four descriptions. Incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And so here really Peter has given us a more full explanation of what this inheritance is. You'll see first of all he says that it's inheritance. It is an inheritance that is incorruptible. That is it is something that cannot be destroyed. It's something that cannot be corrupted this inheritance that we have. You see an earthly inheritance could could very easily be corrupted or destroyed. If you inherit a home, well, the next day that home could go up in flames and it's gone. You could inherit money, but yet somebody could come in and steal that money. You could inherit you know, goods and those things decay and, and rot and, and fade away. But yet this is an inheritance that is incorruptible. 
Another way of looking at this same idea is that it is an inheritance that corrupt people cannot inherit. It is only something inherited by those who, through the grace of the gospel, have been made themselves to be incorruptible. In that we've been born again, we've been given a new heart, we've been given eternal life. And in that sense, not corruptible. Paul really speaks of this same thing in that famous resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And so here that speaks to those who have, by the gospel, been made to be incorruptible. We inherit this that is incorruptible. And so that would simply mean that if your sins have never been forgiven, if you've never been born again, then you are not part of this inheritance. You have, you have no right to it. And so it's an incorruptible inheritance. But the second thing Peter says is that it is an inheritance that is undefiled. There's, there's nothing defiled in this inheritance. That is, it's not received dishonestly. It's not received by corruption One who is an illegitimate child is not part of this inheritance. It's only those who have been legitimately born again, adopted into the family of God that belong to him. But again, if we can look at this from another way, it is an inheritance that will not defile you. You could have a person who for their life has made very, very poor choices, but yet they're the only heir to a great estate and a great fortune and the uh, person passes away and the, the money comes down to the heir and the heir takes all this money and they squander it because they themselves are a person who is defiled and when this money comes, then they are themselves defiled by it. And it corrupts them. Money can corrupt. See, an earthly inheritance can cause you to take your eyes off the Lord. Uh, even someone who has been faithful in, in seeking the Lord for their daily bread come into a great fortune and, and great you know, pile of money and they begin to not trust the Lord in the same way. They, they begin to not have that that daily burden of needing to seek the Lord for their daily provisions and therefore would be defiled by that inheritance. But yet the inheritance that we have in Christ is something that's undefiled. It doesn't defile those who receive it because our inheritance is not of this world. Our inheritance is something far better. And then the third thing Peter says about it is that it is an inheritance that can never fade away. That is an inheritance that will last for all of eternity. You remember in the Gospels the story of the prodigal son. He went and he asked for his portion of the inheritance. And his father went in his office and did some math and came to him with a sack of coins. And that prodigal son, off he went to a far country. And he had this inheritance. He had money from what we could understand from that passage that would set him up and last him the rest of his days. But yet he squandered that inheritance. It, that inheritance slowly faded away. 
He, he spent it on, on his own riotous living. And then one day he woke up and his bag was empty. And he had nothing left. He had nothing to show for it. And then had to go out in, in humiliation and get a job feeding the swan. And then one day came to himself and you know, back to his father. And you know the story. But his inheritance faded away. His inheritance didn't last. But yet that's not true for us. Because you see, we're not laying up for ourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust come to destroy that. But instead we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves are not able to break in and steal. We have an inheritance that doesn't fade away. We have something that is eternal. But then as Peter closes that verse, he he really fleshes all this out for us and really gives us a a more full understanding of what this inheritance is and and insight into the very nature of it. He says this inheritance is reserved in heaven for us. Now, there is a real sense in which heaven is part of our inheritance. Yet he doesn't say that this inheritance is heaven. He says this inheritance is reserved in heaven. For us, And I believe that leads us and kind of backs us into a theological corner of only coming to one conclusion. And that is that Jesus Christ himself is that one who is now in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father that is for us. Christ himself, the presence of us as believers being with Christ himself for all of eternity is the inheritance that we as believers have. That is what we have to look forward to. The presence of Christ. The real presence of Christ with us. I would submit to you, if you died, and you went to a place with streets of gold and gates of pearls and foundations of precious stones, but Jesus himself was not there, that would not be a heaven for you. Because the believer's longing is not for streets of gold. The believer's longing is not for pearly gates. And, and our longing is not for you know, this city that has these foundations of precious stones. The longing of the believer is the presence of Christ. That's what we desire. That's what we seek for. And that is the inheritance that we have in Christ. If I could just take a little pause and just mention something here uh, from this verse that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 1. You'll notice it's in the early part of Peter's letter. 1 Peter 1, right? Peter is writing to a group of, of Jews who, because of their faith in Christ, had been somewhat dispersed especially from their homeland, they were refugees, if we can use a modern word here. And these that had believed in Christ had been written out of their families. They, they were no longer partakers of the natural earthly inheritance that would accrue to them as being members of a Jewish family. Because they had rejected Judaism and they had trusted Christ. And so in that, they were outcasts of their own family. And now they were left with no inheritance. They were left with no earthly future. 
But yet Peter, in the comforts of the gospel, he reminds these, you have something way better. You have something that's so much better than an earthly inheritance. You have, you have an eternal inheritance. It can't be taken away from you. It's not corrupted. It's, it's not defiled. It doesn't fade away. It can't be removed. It, it's reserved there for you. Way better. Far, far better than anything you would have in this life. You know, and that hits us, or it hits me, I trust it hits you, in really a very encouraging way. Because it might be that in the eyes of this world, we have very little. In the eyes of this world, you, you might not be looking forward to much. As far as these earthly goods would be concerned. But yet when we consider what we have in Christ, what are the things of this world by comparison? And as those truly born again, what is it that we really desire? We're not after the things of this world anyway. We're after those things for eternity. You've heard it said, I'm sure, if you have everything but not Jesus, then you have nothing. But if you have nothing but you have Jesus, well, then you have everything. What more can we want? What more do we truly desire? And so if you're born again, this is the inheritance that you have to look forward to, Christ himself. But now if we come back to Ephesians chapter 1, I want to look at a second question. Not only what is it, but the second question, how do we get this? How is it that you can be absolutely sure that this inheritance that I've been talking about is something that really belongs to you? How do you get this inheritance? Well, verse 11 answers that question for us, in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You'll see in verse 11, it's the second time in these opening verses of Ephesians that Paul uses this word predestinated. You'll see it the first time back up in verse number 5. In verse 5, when he uses this word predestinated, he uses it in connection with our adoption. So we've been predestined He hath predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Our adoption brings us legitimately into the family of God. In our adoption, we are made to be joint heirs with Christ Jesus. In an inseparable union with Christ. And so we've been predestinated unto adoption. And now he uses again this word predestinated in connection with our inheritance. And so all this is, is put part and parcel with our union with Christ. We've been predestinated unto this. But yet this verse teaches us two things about how we get this inheritance. And the first thing we can see in verse number 11 about how we get this inheritance is first of all that you did not earn this. You did not earn this. Now, just a casual reading of verse number 11 would lead you, you to believe that you have earned it because of the language that's used, especially as it's recorded here for us in, in the authorized version. Verse number 11, we have obtained an inheritance. But don't be misled by the way that this is translated here in the text. 
The phrase translated obtained an inheritance, all three words that you see in English are actually one word in the original Greek text. And that word in the Greek text would have a meaning more along these lines, assigned by lots. That would be more of the the Greek, the, the meaning of that particular Greek word, to assign by lots. So we could have translated verse number 11 this way, in whom also we have been assigned an inheritance. That would be really a more literal translation of the Greek text. In whom, that is in Christ, we have been assigned an inheritance. And I say all that simply to emphasize to you that we should not use the word obtained, as it is in the text here, in the way that we normally interpret and understand that word. If you go home and pull out your dictionary and look up the word obtained, you'll find this definition. If you use Webster's dictionary, you'll find these exact words. To gain or attain, usually by planned action or effort. Okay, that's, that's how we use the word obtained. To gain or attain, usually by planned action or effort. Well, now, when we consider the salvation that we have in Christ, well, we know that there was no planned action or effort that went into us being redeemed. You were not saved. You're not converted because of your planned action or effort. If your salvation was the result of your planned action, well, you are sinful to such a degree degree, that you would never plan that. You would never put that plan in motion, even if you did plan that. There is no amount of effort that you can put forward that would cause God to respond to you in such a way to redeem you. If your salvation, or if we look more specifically here, if the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus was something that was the result of our planned action or our planned effort, then we would never have it. We just simply would never have it. And so this is not something that we have earned. This is something that has been assigned to us because of the union that we have in Christ. There's nothing here of of foreseen faith. There's nothing here of uh, the the caricature that, that some put forward that God in eternity past looked down the quarter of time and he knew who would believe and who wouldn't believe and so he picked all the people that would believe and and didn't pick the people that wouldn't believe. That's not how God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I think some people also have a, a wrong view of electing grace and they view it, I don't mean to be silly in using this illustration, but I think it's the best illustration that I know. It's as if God was playing some cosmic game of backyard flag football, right? And you've all played, you know, backyard flag football, and the teams are standing there, and you pick two guys to be the captain, and, well, you flip a coin, and who gets to pick first? And so if, if I'm the team captain, I look at the crowd, right? Who, who do I have to pick from to be on my team? Well, who am I going to pick? I'm going to pick the person that I think has a reputation of being the fastest and best able to catch the football. And so he gets picked first. 
And then the next guy gets picked and you get picked and you get picked and you get picked. And I can use this phrase because I am this phrase. Fatty McGee, slow guy, he gets picked last, right? He, he doesn't have skills to run fast or, you know, be good at catching the football. So he's, he's picked last. He's not, he's not, you know, and, you know, the ball never gets thrown to him. And that's how some people understand God electing. Well, this guy's got a lot of money. He'll give to the kingdom and you know, he'll help build a church or he'll support a missionary and so I'll save him. This guy, man, he's really, really smart and he's good with words and he's able to you know, enunciate truth and he, he speaks well and so, okay, I'll pick him. And uh, they're poor and they don't have any influence and they don't know anybody and I'm not going to pick them. Right? And that's how some people view Election. That, that's how some view God choosing us in Christ. And that's nothing that could, I mean, it couldn't be farther from the truth. Couldn't be farther from the truth. He has chosen us in him according to the good pleasure of his own will. We don't know why. I don't know why. You don't know why. But we rejoice in the truth of it. There's nothing that we have done. There's nothing good in us that has made God look at us, look at me, look at you, and say, I want him. Not anything because of our goodness. It's nothing that we have obtained. It's something that has simply been assigned to us. And this ties into the second part here, and that is you inherited it from God the Father because you are a joint heir with Christ. This goes back and takes into account everything that we know to be true about the believer's union with Christ. Turn over to Galatians chapter 4. Look at, look at this passage, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, this is a verse we come to often at Christmas time. Right? But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. And so we look at this verse at Christmas. Galatians 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Why did he send forth his son? He answers that question. In order to redeem them that were under the law. Well, now we can ask ourselves a question. Well, why did he redeem those that were under the law? The end of the verse says that, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so we, we receive this adoption. We're brought into the family of God. And because of this union that we have with Christ, being brought into the family of God, being adopted into the family of God, we now have this hope of our inheritance. And I use that word hope because that's how Peter puts it back in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, that we've already looked at it. He, he refers to it as a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for us. This lively hope that we have is because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and we are joint heirs with Christ and as Christ rose from the dead, we have been raised from our spiritual deadness in Christ and we are redeemed. We belong to Christ. We're part of the family. Nothing can separate us from that. Uh, we read from Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And Paul lists a whole, whole slew of things that could try 
to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But the conclusion is, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Because we're united to him. Because Christ is risen from the dead. And this can never fade away. And so we put all these scriptures together and we come to this conclusion that this inheritance that we have is rock solid. It's a work of Christ that cannot be undone, that that doesn't need to be added to. We are legitimately the sons of God, legitimately the rightful heirs to this inheritance in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ... You have nothing to look forward to as far as this inheritance goes, as far as anything that I've been talking about goes. You have nothing to look forward to but hell and misery. But yet in Christ, we have everything. This is the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. You'll never be turned away. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's not going to be turned away. Whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life, never to be turned away. But now we come to a third question. What is the purpose of this inheritance? The why of it. Why do we get this inheritance? What is the purpose of this inheritance? Well, again, in Ephesians, Paul addresses all this. We, we, verse 11, we have this obtained this inheritance, being predestinated unto the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. And verse 12 is the why. The purpose of this inheritance. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Everything, everything, in our salvation demonstrates the grace, mercy, and glory of God. Salvation is not the work of man. It is the gracious act of God the Father through the Holy Spirit accomplished by the Son. And just like each of the other aspects of our salvation brings glory to God, The inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. At one point, we had absolutely nothing to do with this inheritance. We were outside of Christ. We were aliens away from God. We were enemies of God. But yet God chose us in him. He adopted us into his family. He has removed our corruption. We've been cleansed. We belong to Christ. And now this inheritance is ours. Not for our glory, not for our self-aggrandizement, not for our praise, but all for the glory of Christ. We sing that hymn, Emmanuel's Land. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's Land. And so when we get to heaven, when we receive this inheritance, there will be no patting one another on the back for the great choice you made. Oh man, it's a good thing you chose Jesus. But we don't get any glory to ourselves. All the glory is to God the Father. And that is 
the purpose of this inheritance, verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. All glory goes to him, to God alone. And so as Christians, we have a glorious inheritance, all because of what Christ has done for us. You're familiar with that uh, hymn by Robert Murray McShane. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own, then, I'm sorry, when I see thee as thou art, and love thee with an unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And when we stand before the Lord, and when we come into the full realization of this inheritance that we have, it's not till then that we'll really fully understand and comprehend what we have in Christ. As we come around the Lord's table this morning, in verse number three of of these opening verses of Ephesians, we're told that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And so we've considered specifically this truth of this inheritance. And I've already made the statement along the way that this inheritance is because we've been adopted into the family of God. It's, it's because we belong there. We belong into this family. Well, as part of a family, you're always welcome to the family table. You know, I know the vast, I guess all of you, you children who they've, they've gone from home. They've gotten married. They've moved away. They live someplace else. But yet they're welcome at the family table. They're always, you come home, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you gather, you're welcome at the family table. They knock on the door at 5.30 on a Tuesday night. You make room for them at the table. Right? They're, they're welcome at the table. Why? Because they're part of your family. They belong to you. They're, they're your offspring. And as we come to the Lord's table, we come to a place that as believers... We're always welcome to the table. Your kids have done stupid stuff. My kids have done stupid stuff. But I can't envision a situation where my kids could do something that I would say you're no longer welcome at this table. We belong to the family. And we're welcome at the table of the Lord. And so I don't encourage you as we come around the Lord's table this evening uh, that you would relish in that truth that Christ has earned this place for us. We've been redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven. And as we come to remember the Lord's body, his his broken body and his shed blood, uh, may the Lord give us the grace we need to truly remember his death till he comes. So